This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone to a special edition of Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. I am, as always, your host, Jared Palmgren. A couple of years ago, I began what was known as the way-too-early CFF Mock Draft Special, and it has been a resounding success ever since then. So we're back again this year with some old faces and a few new ones for you as well. Today, we'll be running through the first way-too-early Mock Draft for CFF 2024. Much about the special remains the same from years prior, but I'm going to run down everything you need to know before we get started, just in case you haven't seen the previous versions. In this special, we have 14 different college fantasy analysts in 12 different draft spots, and each one of them is going to come on here to talk about their teams and their experiences slash lessons from this draft. Before each pick, I'll briefly introduce each expert, and then they'll have their turn answering a series of questions I've laid out for them, as well as if they're able to bring their own analysis to the table. So you'll be hearing from at least 12 different points of view during this draft, as well as where things stand in CFF heading into 2024, all in this one special. I want to thank each of these experts, and I'll make sure they thank them individually once they finish their segments. This draft and the special would not be possible without them dedicating their time and their effort to providing you guys the best analysis here. Also, this special will not be the only analysis we'll provide on this draft. If you want to see the full board, please head over to my Twitter at CFF underscore Jared, and you'll find a post with the full draft board. In addition, a second CTN episode will be released next week with myself and Chris Moxley, where we'll be analyzing the draft round by round. Please make sure to check that out as well. If you want to make sure you don't miss that, make sure you follow the show's Twitter account at ChasingTheNatty. Finally, if this is your first time coming to the Chasing the Natty channel, I hope you guys stick around and you make sure you can do that by clicking the subscribe button and that notification bell. In addition, please leave comments down below about anything regarding this draft. Finally, if you're listening to the podcast version of the special, make sure you follow us wherever you are listening, as well as make sure you leave those wonderful five-star reviews. Also, if you are listening to this on podcast, great, but I also do recommend you go and check out the video version on YouTube where each expert will have the team they drafted next to them as they speak, and you'll see the draft round by round at the bottom of the screen. Now, before we begin, let me go over the format of the draft as well as any roster requirements that were added as a part of it. The draft was made up of 12 spots and was conducted in a snake order. The order was determined by a random chance. The draft contained only nine rounds as it's early in the offseason and most rankings have been finalized enough for us to go deeper than that yet. The roster was made up of nine starting roster spots. Each team by the end contained two quarterbacks, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, and then one flex option being a running back, wide receiver, or tight end, whatever the drafters felt like doing there. There are no bench players in this draft. And so with that, that's pretty much the layout of the draft. And so I'll go ahead and introduce our first expert here. Up first with the first official pick of the 2024 CFF season, you're going to hear from the king of spreadsheets and owner of CFB winning edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Go ahead and start us off, Nick. Hi, everyone. This is Nicholas Ian Allen of CFB Winning Edge and Campus to Canton. Uh, as always, Jared, thank you for inviting me to uh, take part in this way too early 
CFF draft. Uh, I drafted from the first overall position, and it was a, a relatively easy decision for me to go with Ashton Genty, uh, running back Boise State. Genty is is the top returner among fantasy points per game among non-quarterbacks. Uh, I did consider a couple of the quarterbacks who are returning who finished ahead of him, but just slightly last season. And also Ollie Gordon, who of course went number two overall, but felt that Genty was the best pick for me uh, in large part due to his receiving upside. Also returning to Boise State, uh, where George Halani, of course, has moved on to his professional career. And there's some continuity there in the staff with uh, Spencer Danielson getting the full-time job after being promoted from his interim head coach position at the end of last season. Play caller is the same and, and just felt like it was a good, not only Genty, one of the best overall players in college football, arguably, you know, the, the top player. Uh, top running back coming back, but uh, someone who is uh, in a in a familiar system, strength of schedules, something that I think works in his favor a little bit more perhaps than Gordon. But it it was a close call between those two running backs, and then Caden Salter I gave uh, a good hard look to, but decided to go with Genty, and and uh, wouldn't surprise me if most drafts moving forward, Genty is the the number one overall pick. Though I'm not sure it's consensus across the industry. Uh, we'll, of course, have to see how that plays out. As for my general opinion of this year's pool of players, uh, running back is, in my opinion, a, a very, very strong position. I went very hard at the running back position. My first three picks were all running backs. I took Devin Neal and Jaden Ott uh, at the uh, 2-12 and, and 3-1 picks. Uh, partly, I, I chose that. Uh, similarly, to Genty, I, I went with guys who ranked among the, the top performers returning. This year, I think, in addition to just leaning pretty heavy on running back, because not only is it a deep group, I think that a large percentage of the best and most proven players happen to be at the running back position. I just decided that that those two guys, when it came around to, to you know those spots in the draft, uh, seem to to be pretty clear the most proven and, and highest scoring players returning. Uh, I did consider Joey Hobart, who Austin Ace took with the uh, next pick after Ott. Would have certainly been happy with him, but it seemed to me after that group, there was just a, a little bit of a drop-off in my eyes after those first, you know, 25 picks were were off the board. There seemed to be, if not a full tear break seemed like perhaps it was starting starting to spread out a little bit and Ott and Neil are both two that that I feel really really good about the continuity that they've got from a you know head coach standpoint I know Kansas has a new play caller this year upcoming but both of those players are you know going into their third seasons uh, workhorses have the, the capability of being that and I think they're set up for for really really strong seasons so uh, beyond that, I, I do think that quarterback is deep. I think it is less strong at the top. There seems to be perhaps, you know, a, a pretty clear top two, top three with Salter, Brown, and Gabriel. But there are going to be a lot of players at that position who are capable of, of being very, very productive into the, the middle to late rounds. I went with Garrett Green and Thomas Castellanos 
at the end of the fourth round, beginning of the fifth. I could have, you know, picked any of, of, you know, maybe 10 or 12 quarterbacks perhaps at that spot. And quite honestly, it was a little bit earlier than I expected to take quarterbacks. But this is sort of a theme for me in this draft. And I think it, it potentially will carry over to this season. But I want guys who are proven, who have shown that they can be productive uh, at the collegiate level. And I want consistency. I did a little bit of research coming in, and just something I noticed last year, though I haven't dug, admittedly, very deep into CFF research at this point in the offseason. But one thing that really, really stood out to me last year was quarterbacks in particular, but uh, guys who were transfers in their second year in a system, but I think overall guys who are second year or more as a starter are just seemingly the most reliable. And certainly there are guys who will you know transfer and, and hit it big in their first year at a new school. Certainly there are players who are stepping into a new starting role who will go on to be very, very productive. But I feel like there are quite a few players who are going to be available, who we've seen what they can do at this level. We've seen them perform at a high level, and there's some consistency with you know head coach and or play caller. And I just feel like, at least at this point in the very, very early offseason, preseason, those are the guys I'm gravitating toward a bit more. Guys who I just you know feel like they have a very, very high floor, but also we have seen you know, a glimpse of, of the ceiling that they've got as well. My favorite pick, you know, getting getting number one overall in Ashton Genty is definitely uh, uh, probably my favorite, but Jared and I talked a little bit about this on Chasing the Natty recently and transfer wide receivers. I'm personally probably not going to be very high on transfer receivers just in general. I had some bad reads in the past, really didn't work out for me last season. I am taking a little bit more of a conservative approach this year, I think, when it comes to transfers. Um, But I was really, really impressed with C.J. Daniels at Liberty and feel like the situation that he is moving to at LSU really is about as good as it gets for a transfer receiver. Uh, So I do like that pick. I also feel like I got a couple of guys who are veterans at the position who have been productive and are in situations where, you know, at at receiver Elijah Badger, Arizona State, who I took one spot ahead of Daniels, he's somebody who was productive in a pretty bad offense last year. I think Arizona State, we're going to see a step forward under Kenny uh, Kenny Dillingham in his second year there. And then also Kobe Hudson at UCF, you know, he is going to be a clear number one in that room, or at least it looks like that right now looks like that and and believe that he will be KJ Jefferson's top target. He's a guy who's been in college for a long time, has been productive. I feel like he's set up in a in a pretty good spot there. So I like that I got some value at the wide receiver position. And I did take one of the only transfer wide receivers that that are probably going to be in the mix for me often this year in in CJ Daniels. Something I would do differently next time, typically between my first and second drafts of the offseason, mocks, what have you. I try to avoid anyone I took in in the previous draft. I think that's important because I want to see where everybody else values a certain player. I know there are some very, very successful CFF players out there who have guys slotted into particular tiers 
and they go with it. And just about every single draft will do. And, and a lot of the guys in this mock I've drafted with often for years. And there are guys who will take a guy ninth round. If he's there, boom, every single time. And I understand that. And, and that works out pretty well when you've got a, a really good read on a player and understand their value and, and where you feel comfortable and, and you want as many shares of that player as you can get. You're not really going to mess around too much and, and just see how far they drop. But especially early on, I kind of want to see, all right, you know, I have a, a list of players who are my favorites. What does everybody else think about them? So I'm probably not going to take anyone that I took in this draft next time. Uh, I might try to switch it up a little bit instead of going running back very early. Might just sort of see how the board shakes out. Maybe wide receiver would be what I would attack first next time. I probably do want to wait a little more on quarterbacks moving forward just to, again, see sort of how that second tier really sort of shakes out, uh, how everybody else is feeling about that position group. But uh, for the most part, just, just kind of switch it up, doing something a little bit different, at least in the second draft, usually in the third. By that time, hopefully my off-season research will, will catch up a little bit, and I will start to form more of those strong opinions on particular players and you know where there really is value and, and where I should look to attack them moving forward in, in best balls and things of that nature. I don't want to go too long, so won't get you know too much into uh, additional questions here at the end. But as always, Jared, thank you for putting this together. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always fun. It's always a great opportunity to knock some rust off of the off season, get a little bit of a, an idea looking ahead, you know, putting in the work to, to really figure out who's coming back, who's not. That's something that's, you know, very much in my off season to do list right now, as we talk in, in late January, trying to finish up our returning production database. And this exercise is, is really, really good to turn the page and, and start looking ahead to 2024. So I'm excited about it. Always uh, enjoy and thankful for the invite and uh, look forward to the next one. Thanks so much and, and good luck, everybody. Thank you very much, Nick. Every year we've done this special, we've had one of the founders at Campus of Canton join us to provide fresh perspective in the draft. Two years ago, it was Colin Decker. Last year, we had Chris Moxley. And this year, we've brought in Austin Nace. What do you have for us, Austin? Hey, what's up, guys? Austin uh, from Austin Nace from Campus to Canton at Debbie Dietz on Twitter here. Um, thanks, first off, to Jared for having me in this way too early mock draft. I'm probably the least CFF-centric person that participated in this, so I think I have a slightly different perspective on the player pool, maybe some draft strategy. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's the right, the right opinion or the right strategy, but um, I, I think um, I, I picked some names that maybe uh, were... Uh, too early or, or a little surprising to people maybe throughout the draft. Um, but I had a pretty solid strategy in mind going into this with the 102. Um, and so I, uh, I'll hop right into kind of the players uh, that I took here. I knew right away I wanted to either take Ashton Genty or Ollie Gordon with the second pick. Whoever was in front of me did not take and Genty went 101. So I took Gordon 102. Uh, I, I don't think anything really needs to be said about what he did toward the end of the season there for Oklahoma State last year. I expect virtually the same exact workload role for him next year. I think Oklahoma State actually has a lot of continuity on that offense. They bring back uh, their quarterback. They bring back both their big wide receivers. They bring back Ollie Gordon. The schedule, uh, probably a little bit tougher next year overall. They kind of got that easy path through the big 
uh, 12 last year, but overall, I still think it's not, you know, there's no Texas or Oklahoma in there anymore. So, um, you know, overall, I think Ollie Gordon, I expect as long as he's healthy uh, to have at least as good of a year as he did last year, because remember this first couple of weeks, they didn't really use him too much. Um, and so he uh, kind of came on strong late down the stretch. So hopefully another big season out of him there. After that, I knew that running back this year is uh, deeper. There are a lot of really strong returning names, a lot of younger guys um, overall that we really, really like. And so I thought that I could get away with uh, skipping out on running back for a few rounds. And my, my actual strategy after that was to go look at some receivers. And I wanted to get some of these guys who are there's as much continuity as possible for them going into 2024. I mean, it's either, you know, same system, same, same coaching staff, same quarterback, um, you know, as, as much of that as possible, because we know that for all positions, but especially wide receiver, you know, volumes King. And if they're in a system that really uh, can let them shine, that that's really, really valuable uh, for the format. So I actually went uh, wide receiver with my next two picks here. Um, overall, I got a little, got some laughs in the group, but I, I, I don't mind. I'm not, you know, whatever. We'll see how it plays out. Xavier Restrepo from Miami here, uh, with my second round pick, um, you know, n- quarterback upgrade in my opinion was really, really strong last year, uh, plays the majority of the time in the slot and he's getting a quarterback now who, you know, it's hard to say whether he prefers the slot or not. He's coming from a system that really heavily used it though. So I'm hoping that, kind of that experience causes him to hyper-focus on the slot in Miami as well. Um, Restrepo last year, you know, even with kind of questionable quarterback play through most of the year, 85 catches over a thousand yards and six touchdowns. So I expect, um, you know, if he's healthy, I I expect a a similar year uh, from him overall. And you can look at guys like Lincoln Victor and and those guys last year that, that Cam Ward fed at Washington state again, not the same system, but hopefully, you know, that'll translate a little bit for Ward. Uh, moving over to Miami. Then I took Joey Hobart from Texas state next, Um, you know, another offense thought they were going to have their quarterback still. Um, But I, I really do just trust uh, DJ Kenny to get the best out of that offense, no matter what. And Hobart, um, you know, almost half of his games, double digit targets last year. Um, Really, really productive uh, guy, even though he's not, you know, maybe the most explosive, he's just going to get that target volume. And then I took Brennan Presley from Oklahoma state. So I double dipped Oklahoma state, but like I said, with Ollie Gordon, you know, his quarterback's back. Um, he had uh, double-digit targets each of his last four weeks, um, and I believe actually his lowest target uh, amount in, in the last month of the season was 14 in a game. He also had a game with 19, a game with 20, a couple other games with nine uh, targets in there. So he was really prolific, 101 catches, almost 1,000 yards for him. So I think I knocked out some consistent volume there with those guys, players that I can really count on, um, and I certainly think that there is some ceiling there as well uh, for all three of them. Went back to running back to Quali Conley, although since we've drafted, um, he's apparently entered the portal, but going to follow his coach. So, you know, leaving San Jose State, but I still think some continuity there uh, overall. I don't regret uh, that pick at all, even with that updated news. And looking at some of the running backs that went after him, uh, Quali Conley, you know, you had your, your Quinshawn Judkins, Jaquavius Marks, uh, Jaheim White. Um, you know, I, I, I feel a little bit better about him overall um, from, a, a you know, just trusting that there's going to be a consistent rule there for him on a week-to-week basis every week. Uh, Double-dipped quarterback with my next two picks. Uh, Riley Leonard actually might be my favorite selection that I made. I think, um, you know, this was a, a really sharp group, so I'm not, you know, I, I think people kind of forget that what he did a couple of years ago when he was really healthy for Duke, when he was a top 15-ish fantasy quarterback option, 
uh, going to Notre Dame, working with an offensive coordinator who has a ton of experience with kind of passing limited quarterbacks, but guys that can use their legs. So I expect Leonard to go in there and be pretty good for Notre Dame. And they, uh, you know, the bulk of their schedule there, um, ACC or kind of, you know, some of those independent slash uh, power G5 schools. So um, I, I expect him to have a big year. Took Noah to Fafita with my next pick. I didn't actually mean to take Noah Fafita here. <laughs> I meant to take Jaden Delara, just totally blanked on small Arizona quarterback. Um, but events that have transpired now make me happy that I took Noah Fafita. He's staying there at Arizona. He's keeping his star at wide receiver uh, overall there. Uh, and Jared said that um, uh, I believe over the the final month or two of the season, he was uh, quarterback 24, I believe. So, you know, the, the ceiling maybe not quite there, but um, I, I do, and, and no real rush upside either, which is a little bit of a bummer. Um, but but overall, I still think, you know, over uh, a, a solid quarterback two selection, um, and we had to have two quarterbacks anyway. So uh, not a lot of guys I would have taken over him. Uh, then just to round out my roster, we had to have a tight end. So I took Justin Jolly from NC State, was really productive last year at uh, UConn, and obviously I'm just going to trust Robert and I to get the best out of a tight end. I think he'll do that with Jolly. Um, and then, uh, I got a flex option. I could take whoever, you know, wide receiver or running back I had a couple of different names that I was actually debating here, but I ended up going with Kentrell Bullock, the running back at South Alabama. Uh, again, coaching continuity there, um, head coach left, but, uh, promote the offense coordinator to head coach if I remember correctly there. So, uh, I would expect Bullock who stepped in at times, uh, last season to be the full-time starter to get, uh, plenty of, um, you know, just volume touches there and that South Alabama offense uh, that all those touches that went to LaDamian Webb last year. So um, overall, that's my group. Really, really happy with it. I think it's a pretty well-rounded team overall. Um, I, I think I got pretty good value throughout. Uh, one player that I did just really consider taking but ended up not, and I think if we did this draft in a few months, he would go away earlier, uh, is Dion Burks, the wide receiver who transferred from Purdue to Oklahoma. Uh, and unless I'm completely mistaken, I swear I've looked at this uh, draft board like six times. He's not on there. Uh, neither, you know, I, I, no, no Oklahoma receiver was. I think that's probably a mistake. I just, it's probably a little early for us to kind of know who's going to be the guy there. Um, last year it was, you know, Nick Anderson. Uh, oh, actually, I think Nick Anderson did get drafted. But, um, you know, after that, Drake Stoops, you know, was it you know, Julio Farouk? Had a couple guys uh, that stepped in. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, Burks has a chance to be, you know, the best guy there, just a crazy athlete, great size. And I do think they're going to throw the ball around, uh, quite a bit. So he's one guy that, that I thought about taking, but didn't, um, overall though, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my draft. I think in terms of strategy and kind of what positions I should be valuing, I think, um, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I, if I didn't get one of those two running backs, I would have just hit wide receiver early, and that's what I did. I think I got some guys that are just locked into really good situations with you know a lot of continuity, a lot of consistency. Um, if I, I you know I, I would do this draft over again for sure, and I don't think I would really change uh, many of the picks. Again, could be wrong, could be right, who knows? Uh, but again, thanks to Jared for having me on, um, and uh, tempted to punch this into fan tracks here once that rolls over and, and set all these lineups to best ball and see who ends up doing uh, the best this year. Um, but uh, thanks for uh, listening, guys.
Thank you, Austin. Coming up next is Josh Chevalier, CFF analyst for Fantasy Points, and a guy who will rig every single draft to make sure he gets a top three pick. Go ahead and enjoy his analysis. Hey guys, this is Josh Chevalier. I am at CFF Guys on Twitter. You can find my work over at Fantasy Points. Love to write about anything college football. Jared asked me to be on this nine round way too early mock, and so here we are. And he asked us to answer a few questions. The first question is basically, what's our general opinion of the player pool? Hey, every year it feels like wide receivers are way too thin. You need to pick them early. And then QB and running backs are deeper. And so I don't think it's any different than any other year. My favorite pick on my team this year was DJ Giddens. I got him in the third round. Um, I actually had the third pick um, in the first round. And so I came back around and had the third pick in the third round as well. Got DJ Giddens there. I think he's going to have a lot of volume at K-State. And um, love him for that reason. My least favorite pick was Caden Salter. I got him with a third pick in the draft. And I, you know, I wish I would have picked Tetoro McMillan. He was still on the board. Again, wide receivers were thin. This guy's going to be a beast. He was a beast this last year. And so, man, I got a man crush on T-Mac. So I should have just gone with my gut. Uh, but I tried to go with my head. And I feel like I paid for that later on. Um, something I would have done differently. Man, I took QB third overall. I definitely would have waited. There were six QBs that went in the first five rounds, and so the value just wasn't there to pick a QB that early. Although, man, look at that Caden Salter Liberty uh, schedule, and it's super soft. So, uh, not a not a bad pick, but again, wish I would have gotten T Mac, gotten a running back, running back, running back, come back with wide receiver, and then I can get uh, start working on my quarterbacks in rounds five, six, seven, and so on. So. Yeah, those are some things I would have done differently. Some other discussion questions that Jared gave us as optional were, which player do you think was most surprising that went undrafted? For me, that'd be Trevor Etienne. You know, typically Georgia running backs, they're not CFF gold, but I think Trevor might be the exception this year. He's super talented, um, and I think he's also hyper-efficient, and so... He's not a guy that I would pick in the first three, four rounds, but man, ninth round, I'd definitely take a shot on Trevor Etienne uh, because I think he's going to be a guy that produces this year. Risers and fallers from this draft. So I think risers, you had Ohio State wide receiver, right, go first round, but the second one didn't go off until I think the fifth, fifth or sixth round. And so that would be a, a player, a wide receiver too, whoever that is for Ohio State, Carnell Tate, Jeremiah Smith that I could see going uh, before the fifth or sixth round. Um, and then also, I think an LSU wide receiver didn't go off to the fifth or sixth round. I also think that we'll see somebody, whether it's CJ Daniels, Kyron Lacey, somebody go higher than the fifth or sixth round from LSU because there's just too much value at the LSU wide receiver position. A faller is a guy that I actually picked. Um, I picked Easton Messer from Western Kentucky um, in the fourth round. Now, they are making a OC switch, which we didn't know at the time of the draft uh, to, uh, to Will Friend. And so he's coming in, and I don't really know. I don't know if he's going to stick with this like hyper air raid, pass the ball around offense, or if he's going to be more balanced. So I need to do more research on him. But for now, I would not pick Eastern Messer where I did in this draft. Um, Strategy-wise, what do I think is the best to go with? Well, early in the offseason... Again, the perception is the wide receiver position is thin because we don't know yet who are going to be the wide receiver one, twos, and threes for teams necessarily. So early in the offseason, man, if you're doing a best ball, I would take wide receiver early, two in the first three rounds. And then later in the offseason, I would go best available player, wide receiver, running back, 
because I just don't like. Again, I picked Caden Salter early. I think that might have been a mistake because I think if you look at the wide receiver or quarterback landscape, I don't think there's one that's necessarily going to stand out as the guy. And even if they do, I think there's guys you can get later. They're going to have lots of value, like Avery Johnson that I was able to get in the seventh round. Like that guy could be amazing, could have a high ceiling. Um, and yet I got him in the seventh round versus Byron Brown that went in the first round. I, you know, I think the value between him and Avery Johnson might not be that much different. So I would just wait around and get a quarterback later, regardless whether it's early in the offseason or later. Um, yeah. That's my opinions on this draft, on who's going to rise and fall, on who I would have, um, who I think should have been picked that wasn't in this draft. And then, yeah, what are we going to do this offseason in these drafts? What's our strategy, both early in the offseason and later? Thank you guys for having me. Jared, thank you for inviting me into this. I appreciate you guys, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you so much, Josh. With the way too early mock draft special, we pride ourselves on it being an opportunity to celebrate the new faces in the CFF industry, and there was certainly nobody who made a bigger splash this past season than Justin Leo, better known as Volume Pigs. His articles on his substack have become pages out of a CFF Bible of sorts for many. You'll be hearing from him next, so I hope you enjoy his bountiful barbecue of CFF analysis. All right. Uh, hello. This is VP, otherwise known as Volume Pigs, on Twitter. Uh, I'm recording this now uh, at midnight here on a rainy night in Toronto, so if I seem a little sleepy, that's why. Uh, in the segment, I'm going to be talking about my team's draft in Jared's way too early CFF mock draft. I was the fourth pick, I believe. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give some thoughts on my, my draft selections uh, here. The first question is, uh, what are my thoughts on this year's player pool? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's early, but I think one, one sort of thing that stands out is the quality and the depth of the running back position, I would say. Um, you know, last year, I would say it was pretty weak for the running back position sort of weaker than usual. And sort of, a, I guess, a side effect of that is, you know, the next season is usually much better because you end up having sort of a lot of sophomores uh, who can't leave the following season who, you know, get their shot that season and then all of a sudden now they're sort of entrenched starters uh, or sort of more known commodities going into the next season. Uh, you know, I think from 2022 to 2023, there was a lot of sort of, I don't know, volume pig style running backs that ended up leaving college. So there was a lot of, you know, opportunity for new names, new, new faces to step up last season. But that all, of, you know, is kind of creates uncertainty. You know, if you're drafting players, you kind of have to take chances. This year, you know, it's a lot more, I would say, the players are fairly known. There's, there's a lot of you know, really sort of entrenched starters, guys who are already pretty productive at that position returning. So that's good. Um, and I, I think this draft kind of reflected that a little bit, although, you know, there, there was sort of the restriction of how many running backs you could draft. Um, you know, speaking personally, I, I probably would have just kept drafting running backs had there not been any restriction. And I'll, I'll talk about this maybe a little bit more in the next question. 
Okay, but I lied on the previous video. I'm not going to talk about the running back position on this question because this question uh, is about what my favorite pick was, what my least favorite pick was. Um, favorite pick is hard to say. You know, I, I, honestly, I, I didn't love my draft. I mean, I think I think that's more of a function of just because it's pretty early still. So it's sort of hard to really say like, oh, I. I really like this pick or that pick because I mean there's there's a lot that's gonna happen still in the off season. Uh, least favorite is easy though. Uh, <laughs> it's nothing against this player in particular. I actually think the round that he went is, is fine. Uh, but I, I drafted Jalen White, Georgia Southern's running back in the third round. And the reason I don't like this pick is because I actually went in the type Jalen Buckley, redshirt freshman who broke out this year uh, playing for Western Michigan. Uh, I went to type it and you know he just wasn't in the database when I was typing and at the time I was just like well uh, maybe I'll just go with somebody else so I just deleted it went with Jalen White who was in the database when I was picking so and it was fine I mean White's you know like I said third round is I think probably at this stage that's fine but um, you know I think if it was an actual draft probably not who I would have picked there I was actually really hoping that DJ Giddens from Kansas State would make it back to me at that pick. I believe he went right before, like literally the pick right before. So that was kind of disappointing. But yeah, I don't know, favorite pick, I, I'm not sure there is one really. Like a, the team, I'm not that thrilled about the team. I think it's okay. But yeah, I don't know, maybe Taj Brooks in the second. I don't know. Just because I'd probably have like an end of first round grade on him, like if I had to give rankings right now. So to get him in the second, that, that feels pretty good. But honestly, there isn't really one pick that stands out as, you know, a, like a, a coup or something like that. I, I think that the draft was just okay. Uh, one thing I would do if this is an actual draft with no restrictions is I, I would have just kept drafting running backs probably, I don't know, six or seven rounds deep, depending on sort of who was available. Uh, you know, I, this is more my fault. I just didn't really read the rules ahead of time. So, and probably I would have done it the same way had I read the rules anyways, but I drafted running backs in three straight rounds as I usually do in regular drafts. So that, that isn't really that different. Uh, however, we could only have a total of three running, well, two running backs, one flex. So you could really only have three running backs total. And so, you know, there were some guys who, I don't know, like we're in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round that I would have liked to have also had. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, Jalen White in the third, although he's fine, probably I wouldn't have, you know, selected him there then if, had I known in advance that, you know, there's guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth round that were going to be available that I also would have wanted. Uh, all right, so I've gone through all of Jared's required questions now, uh, but there was an optional question uh, that sort of stood out to me. Again, I've kind of spoken to this already in this video, and the question is, you know, is there an optimal draft strategy for this year uh, or an approach, you know, to, to this year's drafts that I, I think uh, is probably the optimal choice? Um, you know, again, like, you know, however you want to draft, obviously, you know, go with what you think is best. But for, for me, and this is regardless of, of the year, uh, but I, I think even especially this year, it's probably a good way to go is I, I like to just sort of hoard the running back position as much as possible early on. Uh, I always, almost always go one, two, three running back, oftentimes even in the fourth round. This year, I, you know, 
there's no telling uh, like depending on who's available in the pool like honestly I could go five five six rounds start off just with running backs um, you know I, I feel like quarterback position again it depends on the format that you play you know if you're playing with multiple quarterbacks the, the calculus changes a little bit but if you're in a regular you know standard regular CFF league which you know most people probably are um, you know, the quarterback position isn't that important, I think, when it comes to drafting because there's so many available on the wire that will produce at a, at a good level. Wide receiver, you know, uh, is, is important, but again, that's another position. There's a lot of them that come available on the wire that are really productive. Um, and there, that, that's another position where I feel like you can get really good players late rounds. Not that you can't do that at running back, but running back, it's like, you know, there's 133 FBS teams total. Maybe it's 134 now. I can't remember, but there can only really be one uh, pig per team at the running back position, and, and and a lot of teams don't have one, right? So some some have committees. So there's only there's only so many. Like there there can be multiple productive wide receivers on one team. Uh, most teams quarterbacks are pretty you know usually pretty productive, you know good enough for CFF. Uh, but running backs is that position where it's, it's rare and um, you know if you happen to have you know I don't know six or seven uh, of the running backs that year that are getting 200 or more carries 250 or more carries uh, you're you know you're in a really good spot because you, you can build the rest of the team through the through the waiver basically uh, you know you can get good running backs on waivers but it's it's not really a position you want to be in you'd rather just have that position taken care of through the draft and then the other positions you just supplement it um, you know, I, I look at the running back position like building the foundation of a house, basically. I mean, that's the sort of foundational position. Once that's sort of achieved, everything else can be placed around it pretty much uh, first couple of weeks of the season, and, and you'll be good. So, yeah, I mean, for this year in particular, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's really running back heavy. So maybe you don't have to prioritize it as much early on as you might in other years. Uh, but for me, I, I almost look at it the opposite. I, like I almost want to prioritize it more, just because there are so many good ones. Um, so you know, uh, I think this year you, you really want to sort of uh, target that position. Make sure you're not left empty-handed. You know, just having one or two coming out of the draft that that's not enough. You, you really, you want to have several several starters and bench players so you can just rotate in based off matchups during the season. So. Uh, that would be my my sort of advice. Uh, I'm ranting now. Uh, probably, uh, I'm getting tired and falling asleep. So this is probably a good time now for me to sign off here. Uh, once again, this is VP at Volume Pigs on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you guys probably know where to find me. So. Thank you, Justin. Up next is the Godfather of CFF and head of CFF content over at Fantrax, John Lobb. Pendles out, everyone, and take your notes, students, because the Gridiron Scholar has quite the lesson for all of you today. Hello, everyone. How are you? It's John Laub of Fantrax. I'm with Jared here for at least the second year. It might be the third, the old man memory. I type up. I, I got the signal that it's the third. So as the years go by, you forget things. So it's awesome to be with everyone I love the way too early draft. I mean, it is really the Wild West. Putting down my rankings for the first time last week. You have to look at coordinators and coaches and transfer. 
and try to get a landscape of who's coming back. So it's fun. Then you have to see who other people like and, and they're, we don't know value per se. So I absolutely love it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at GridironSkull91. I can't wait for the 2024 um, season to get underway. And it's a pleasure to be with Jared this early in the season. All right. So we were asked a bunch of questions from Jared. And the first one that we were asked this year, what is your general perception of the player pool this year? And my first thought process as I'm looking, COVID is finally over. We've had a lot of older players sitting on teams. And I'm talking 23-year-old quarterbacks, six-year quarterbacks for some players which have really been beneficial from a fantasy standpoint. I mean, I grew up in a generation where if you were 21, you were considered old as a college player. BYU in the old days used to have players who were in their mid-20s, but that was an anomaly, not the norm. So to see the landscape and COVID finally be over, because remember, everyone got a free season, you're looking at the draft board now, and it's very different. My first impression was it's not as deep as it has been, everyone. So kind of get used to that. The top players are still there. Um, we've been doing this long enough to know there's always going to be some at the very top. But after that, there's going to be some risk involved. Who are you picking? Younger players? Are you going with the system? Um, maybe coaching staff, the pedigree. So that's my first thought right away. The other second thought was, wow, no Brock Bowers. It literally changes everything at the tight end position, and we're going to talk about this later. And usually when you look at the tight end position, and obviously Brock Bowers hasn't been there in the years that I've been playing, but there's usually one or two tight ends who you like at the top and you like it because they've either shown it to you or, or the system highlights the tight end. This year, there I just don't see it. I think there's going to be wide discrepancy in ratings amongst the um, CFF um, draft scouting community who we like at tight end. So be prepared for wild fluctuation at that position. Then Jared asked us, who was your favorite pick on the team? And this year, I it, it was hard because obviously I think if you're like me or anyone else, you do like the players you pick. But I like Eugene Wilson of Florida. You might not believe this, everyone, but when I was scouting Ricky Pearsall, I was impressed with Graham Mertz. Watch the film, people. Get off of your preconceived notion. Graham Mertz played good football last year. He throws a nice spiral. And if you weren't watching Florida late in the season, Eugene Wilson really, really, in my opinion, came on strong for Florida. And obviously, I had played him in DFS. I had picked him up as a free agent on some teams. But look at his numbers. He's a true freshman. 61 receptions, 538 yards, and six touchdowns. More impressively, look at his stats from October 7th on. Very impressive. And without Pearsall, I think he's going to be the, you know, the main target. He's going to eat 
in the Gators. And I like the fact they have a returning coach. They have a returning quarterback. There's some changes in the SEC this year. Maybe Florida gets it together. So I like Wilson a ton. The least favorite, and it's not that I don't like the pick. I just don't know if I got value or if I reached right here. And that player is Cedric Baxter of Texas. I took him in the second round. I'm not sure if I'm going to have to take him. I'm going to be fascinated where his value goes. Now, I think Baxter's the best player on Texas. However, they do have Jaden Blue there. We also know that they got talent in the backfield. We don't, we're not guaranteed that Baxter's at the top of the depth chart when the season kicks off. We want the Texas running back. I mean, we if you had Jonathan Brooks last year, he was very, very good. The year before, you had B. John Robinson. We know Sark's system is going to highlight the back. I took Baxter in the second round. I feel good that he's the most likely candidate to win the job, but I don't know that this early. We have to watch him in the spring camp. We're going to have to read reports. But I do like Baxter. And look at his last two games in the Big 12 championship game and in the playoff against Washington. He had over 17 and 18 points in those two games. So I like him a lot. But did I go too much on him? The third question that Jared asked us is, what would you do differently next time you draft? And before I answer that question, I want to talk about competing in fantasy football contests and leagues one of the keys in my opinion is understanding who your competitors are and i've had the luxury of drafting with this all-american team of cff experts for about five years at least now so i feel pretty good about their tendencies and one of the things over the years is i'm usually the early running back guy so I will say I went into this draft and I was like, I'll get my running backs later with because I had the fifth pick. And boy, was I amazed that running backs were flying off the board. There are so many good running backs. And literally this group went running back heavy. So I was like, whoa, I was kind of thrown for a loop at how fast they came off the board. As an example, Nick Allen, who I respect the heck out of at Campus to Canton and CFB winning edge, he went three running backs with his first three picks, and I don't think I've ever seen that with Nick Allen. And then Justin Leo, who is Valiant Pigs, who I had the pleasure to write with all this season, he went three running backs. So to see two other competitors Go that heavy running back is shocking. So what I have to pay very close attention to is where are these running backs going and how fast are they flying off the board? Maybe I can't take my wide receivers until later. The second thing, the tight ends. What a conundrum we have with tight ends this year. Without a top tight end, I was shocked. I was the first guy to take a tight end. I kept looking, I kept looking, and I kept looking. And in the seventh round, I took Harold Fannin, the tight end for Bowling Green. And I like him a ton this year. And I did want to get him. And he's right now, he's my number one. It's a long off season. 
But I said, you know, let me just grab my tight end here in the seventh round. Let's see if this is an anomaly or if this is going to be the pattern that tight ends go really, really late. But those are the two things I have to notice the most as we move forward. And one player who went undrafted that surprised me the most was Missouri quarterback Brady Cook. I'm all in on Brady Cook. I have him pretty high in my rankings. And I just wanted to see what other people, how they valued Brady Cook. And he didn't go off the board. Oh, my God. If he was my third quarterback in any league, I would be beyond ecstatic. He's a good player. I, I wonder if he'll go again after nine rounds in the next draft that I participate in. And that is the way too early college fantasy football draft, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the show and you're gaining a lot of early knowledge because the season's going to kick off before you know it, everyone. Have a great day. Appreciate you joining us for another year, John. Now, let's hear from Eric Froton. Coming over from NBC Sports Edge, this man has pioneered greatly for the CFF industry this past year, including starting the first ever FSGA College Fantasy League. Take it away, Froton. Eric Froton, NBC Sports. I'd like to thank Jared Palmgren of Campus to Canton for inviting me to participate in the way too early 2024 college fantasy football draft. So without any further ado, how do I feel about the 2024 class and how it kind of relates to the 2023 class? I will start off with the tight end position. I feel like it's extremely deep, like far far deeper than what I think I'd remembered in previous years. And I think that's indicated by the fact that we didn't have one taken until 7.07 .07 by John Lobb. It was Harold Fannin of Bowling Green. Um, and in previous years, specifically the last year, we saw Aronde Gadsden and Brock Bowers taken routinely in the first round, though obviously many of you will point out correctly that Aronde Gadsden was and is and will always be a Tito. Much like Dalvin Smith is a Tito, but we'll get to that later, won't we? Uh, on the running back side, I mean, pretty deep, given the parameters of this draft. We only allowed to go nine rounds, right? And we have to fill out a full position group. So it's not like we have 25 rounds to spread out our roster. Um, but even so, accounting for that, the last four running backs drafted, uh, Abu Sama, who for um, Iowa State was an absolute stud down the stretch. Kentrell Bullock, which should be taken over over at South Alabama. Nicholas Singleton, obviously we know about him. And Trevion Henderson was the last running back drafted by me. I felt like I got a principal. I mean, how do I not take Trevion Henderson here? You know, last running back of the entire draft? Fine, give him to me. Um, moving on to wide receiver, I felt like after the top like 15 or so, just really the next 25 were personal preference. You know, it was kind of all over the board of uh, I could see, you know, one of several different guys going at any particular point. Uh, I think it speaks to, uh, you know, the, the solid consolidated group at the top that we have to pick from and then just the nature of the position, which is kind of very variable. And we don't know what kind of we're getting from year to year. So uh, then lastly, with quarterbacks, I think it paid to wait. There was only four quarterbacks taken in the first four rounds. And I think, you know, as the draft kind of went on, and this is indicative of a lot of the 
college fantasy drafts I've done over the past few years, you see them slip a little bit more, even in the 2QB system that we start in the college fantasy landscape. So uh, moving on to the second question, who is my favorite pick for my team? This kind of does dovetail with the QB situation. Uh, I liked Nico Iamelayava, maybe that's correct, uh, which I got at the 7-6 pick, and then I followed that up. Excuse me, that was 6-7 pick, and I followed that up with uh, Jackson Arnold at the 7-6 pick, and he was uh, number QB 16 as opposed to Nico QB 10. All right, so we're, we look at the value there. I mean, both of these guys are 18-1 to 1 to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, if you saw the Nico Bowl game, he was absolutely electric. Four touchdowns, three of them rushing. Like, good luck tackling this guy. He's a, a premium athlete. Do we know if he can throw well enough? Not yet, but he's in a Josh Heupel system. All systems go. And then Jackson Arnold, of course. Uh, did he throw some interceptions? Yes, but man, he's got a live arm and he is ready to go over there in Oklahoma coming to the SEC. I feel great about him. So, um, you know, I think the fact that you see Shadur Sanders also go right after Nico, you know, those guys in that range, pretty good, pretty good, um, you know, value of what I'm seeing. I think you're going to see Nico go higher than QB10. Uh, my least favorite pick, I would say value wise, maybe Woody Marks. Jacavius Marks, Mississippi State to USC transfer. Uh, you know, there was a nice pocket of running backs I was considering at that pick, and then they all kind of went right after that in the fifth round, specifically Ontario Brown, then uh, Gavin Sawchuk, and then to close that out, the aforementioned Abu Sama, like went bang, bang, bang. And I like all three of those guys. If there was any pick, I had a little buyer's remorse. It was probably the Jacavius Marks. But, hey, I'm a USC guy, Southern California. And uh, I, I do think he fills that nice role that was vacated by Marshawn Lloyd, where he's given up seven yards of carry there. He just didn't stay healthy for the full season. I think we could see Marks reach that ceiling that we couldn't see Lloyd do. Um, moving on, surprise undrafteds. For QBs, Carson Beck, man, I mean, I've got him in all my C2C leagues. Every single one I drafted last year, I'm thrilled about it. I think he's a top five QB for the 2025 class. In fact, I think he's a top three QB, if not the top overall. Uh, didn't even get drafted. Mike Bobo, you know, he made Aaron Murray a star. Look at Carson Beck. Week after week, he's testing the 300-yard mark. I just think they're going to be rolling again this year, and uh, and that that's, that's an oversight, not getting him drafted. Also, Cam Ward, you can make an argument that, you know, it's time for Mario Cristobal to score some points over there in Miami. Jacoby George, I think, is an absolute stud. Obviously, Xavier Restrepo got drafted, but I think Jacoby George is every bit as good. I think he's better than Restrepo, but Restrepo gets, you know, a lot of those slot targets, so I totally get it in a PPR league. Uh, and then Brady Cook from Missouri, still got Luther Bird in there, still Theo Weiss, I believe, maybe he's moved on, but I mean, uh, when Cody Schrader, you know, isn't logging 26 carries this year, like he was down the entire stretch, was kind of suffocated Barry, Brady Cook's, you know, uh, efficacy, I think you're going to see Cook emerge.
you know, that, that Missouri offense is not going anywhere. So I'm pretty excited about that. And all three of those guys are pretty talented. Did not get drafted. Uh, K-Ron Adams, running back for UMass, was in the portal. Was he going to the NFL? No, he's back at UMass, going to get a full load. Jamal Haynes of Georgia Tech, running back, really emerged this year, as did Georgia Tech to be a bowl-worthy team, finally emerging from the shadow um, of, you know, leaving the option offense. Uh, I loved him as well as Haynes King. Was the number, Haynes King was the number four QB draft in the fourth round, by the way. I, I like the Haynes boys. Wait till we get our Haynes on you, both of those. Trevor Etienne uh, for Florida. Obviously, you know Travis's brother. Now he's over there at Georgia, taking over that role that's been vacated by Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton. I mean, there it is. He's in the position to succeed. Not drafted. Think he needs to be considered. He'll be on that next wave. Jacoby George, I also mentioned uh, for Miami. I think he's a star in the making. Nick Anderson, 10 touchdowns as a true freshman, Oklahoma. My boy Jackson Arnold's running mate. Come on now. Uh, Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter wasn't drafted. Look, I know they got a lot of miles to feed over there, but we're talking about Shador Sanders' adopted brother. The man's going to get targets. Uh, tight end, man, Mason Taylor. I think he might be my TE1. I, I, I love Mason Taylor. He wasn't drafted. That's an oversight on me. I took Oscar Delp, who is also, I mean, excellent. He goes with the Carson Beck pick there, but, man, Mason Taylor's right there, undrafted. Jack Velling going over to Mi Michigan State from Oregon State. Love him. Rivaldo Fairweather for Auburn. He was a four, four, uh, a 40-404 guy. And Jalen Conyers was you know, a, a top two-round guy in two tight end leagues. All last offseason at Arizona State. Now he's at Texas Tech and we're not. Okay. Uh, on to number two. Which players do you think will rise and fall as the year progresses? All right. Quarterbacks. Riley Leonard. Picked a QB 12. Again, Yama, Nico, QB 10. You're going to have Riley at QB 12. I'm sorry. I just don't see that sticking. Uh, I would rather have Nico, uh, Fafita, who, to Austin's credit, who took Riley Leonard, did take Fafita the next round. All about that. I would just kind of flip those. You know, I think Fafita's worth it, as well as Jackson Arnold and Will Howard, who were all taken after Leonard. I would rather have all those guys. And uh, also, Jalen, Jalon Daniels, Kansas, supposedly will be back healthy, dynamic, uh, in that watered-down Big 12. Now, any, anybody can have it, and Kansas looks good. Eight with the number four pick in the eighth round he was taken. We will see that go up. At running back, Phil Maffa taken as the RB6 with the number 12 overall, excuse me, number 13 overall, second pick on the bounce back. And I want to hear and point out, that uh, Mike Bainbridge took him. Yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed of Mr. Bainbridge. You ought to be ashamed of himself. Stealing my Phil Maffa. Okay, he knows that Phil Maffa is mine. It's documented across every... I mean, I was on Nate. I was with Nate on his show last year, and I, everybody thought it was a hot take when I said Phil Maffa is better than Will Shipley. Oh, now he's RB6. Mike, you're stealing my take. You're stealing him from me, and you know it. Uh, next, uh, Sawchuck. We talked about and Sama. Like all, all three of those guys, I think you see them go up. Uh, RB27 for Sawchuck and almost a seventh rounder for Sama. Uh, that went to Jared, took Sawchuck. Josh took Sama. Wide receiver, uh, I think Easton Messer, my boy Josh. Wide receiver 21, I think it's a little steep. I think it's a little steep. Number 410. Mm -hmm. Elijah Surratt, wide receiver 16. 
nothing about him. It's more so he's going over to Indiana transferring. Like, it's it's an unsettled situation. We don't know exactly what we're getting. I think that's a little steep given the guys went out. But that's kind of the beginning of where it was just a free-for-all on the wide receiver front. Uh, I think Trey Harris will end up accruing value. He was wide receiver 19 at the 4-7. Man, I think, I think Ole Miss is going to light it up this year. Really excited about Jackson Dart, too. And then John Lobb. Uh, took Kyron Lacey at the 6'7", and then Nick, Ian Allen, came back and took C.J. Daniels, who's also on LSU, uh, at the 7'1", after transferring, and I'm interested to see how that room shakes out. Um, Also, okay, we're going over the best ball strategy. I think it makes sense to assemble as many wide receivers and running backs in in the first set of, you know, 6-7 picks before you pivot over to quarterbacks and then wide uh, tight ends excuse me I think that's the sequence that is most effective and then um, did the draft uh, did I get people where excuse me I apologize did I take anybody just to get people talking about them sorry I wrote these all down freehand sorry about that Jared uh, my last pick, Trevion. Obviously, it was the last. He was the, fucking, was the last running back drafted. I had to take Trevion and get that talking about how just because Quinchon Judkins is in town doesn't mean that Trevion's now a, a ninth round pick. I mean, come on now. To what end? And then lastly, I took Jordan James in the third round. I think you're going to see a lot of Jordan James on my teams. I've already got him in a couple of my C2C and Dynasty formats, and I'm very excited about his prospects taking over at at Oregon for Bucky Irving. We saw Bucky be so effective. I think Jordan James is even better than him between the tackles. He isn't quite as elusive and have the shake that Irving does, but, I mean, I, I think he's got the uh, the ability. So that'll do it. Eric Froton, NBC Sports, thank you very much. And remember, everybody, play college fantasy football. Appreciate you greatly, Eric. Volume Pigs was not the only new face in the CFF industry this past year. Our next duo is looking to fill that gap on G5 players with their brand new podcast, The G5 Hive. Please welcome Justice and Luke from that podcast, and let's see what they have to say. I am Justice. I am Luke. And we we are are the G5 Hive. The G5 Hive is a college fantasy football podcast dedicated to the G5 or your group of five conferences. It's available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, found on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it nowadays, at G5 Hive. In addition to the G5 Hive, I'm also the co-host of the Devi IDP Grind, a college fantasy football focused podcast uh, strictly for individual defensive players. Um, I also am a staff member over at Campus to Canton where I am the IDP specialist and also do some uh, work on the college fantasy football side. My, you can find me on Twitter or X at justice underscore two, three, one, eight. In addition to the G five hive, I am the co-host of a casuals to degenerates podcast. It's a home league that C2C podcast. I started for my league and it's just kind of kept going. And we've had a lot of people from outside the, uh, league start listening so that has been something fun that we've or i have continued to do and i also write in the off season on my own sub stack about cff offenses i call it the trends takes and tips it's kind of your triple threat and you can find me on x at probasco luke so we had in this way too early mock draft uh the 107 
So what is your general opinion on this year's pool of players? Anything unique compared to previous years? So for me, it felt like the running back talent was really, really deep this year. Um, the wide receiver, deeper than it has been in previous years. Uh, wide receiver to me seemed like there was like a group of like maybe five guys that were kind of like a tier in themselves. And then you had a huge group of um, other pl- other guys and, and how people are going to rank them and pick them, at least this early, definitely comes down to personal preference. And I think that just this year, more than any other year, um, the QB talent, like the the really the top tiers are kind of unknown um, or less known. So you really want to target those mobile quarterbacks, your Thomas Castellanos, uh, Byron Browns, because if you're not sure what they're going to give you in the air, you know what you can hopefully get, you know, on the ground. Essentially, you know, is another running back that also can pass for some touchdowns. And then, Justice, I kind of agree with you there on, you know, running back was super deep. Um, so I felt really comfortable waiting on, on running back in this draft and wanted to snatch up uh, the wide receivers, especially with it being three wide receivers and then a flex. So that's kind of where we gravitated, and then we wanted to uh, wait a little bit on QBs because, you know, just because you use an early pick on a QB doesn't mean that QB is going to be great. Um I mean, we don't have a, a Bryce Young that's coming back. A Caleb Williams is like, or Drake May that's kind of one of those surefire top guys. Um, there's a lot of things that could go wrong, and a lot of things that change in fantasy football um, in the, on the college level. Yeah, and there were a lot of quarterbacks that we, you know, that we liked. Um, so yeah, I think uh, even though the quarterback is less known, there there was there's certainly a lot of options. Of good options available. Yep. So who was your favorite pick on your team and which pick did you like the least? So for me, our favorite, my favorite pick of ours was Ishmael Mahdi, uh, the running back from Texas State. I feel like he's, you know, a top five running back and, and we got him in the second round. So I was, I was stoked to get him. Um, you know, he's got the running upside, running upside. He also catches, uh, passes out of the back backfield for your PPR league. So he's, he's just someone I'm really, really high on. Um, and probably my least favorite would have been Seth Hennigan, uh, quarterback at Memphis. It's not that I don't like Seth Hennigan. Um, just from a personal preference standpoint, I prefer quarterbacks with a little more rushing upside than he does. But it's hard to argue uh, with the passing numbers that Seth put up this past year and, and what's expected this coming year. And, you know, to piggyback on that, Justice, you know, behind the peak behind the curtain, we we looked at our our rankings and we were going to go wide receiver. But then uh, Ishmael was there. So we decided to forgo wide receiver and, and then take him there. Uh, my favorite was Seth Hennigan. Uh, that was my pick in, in this draft. Uh, you got the same offensive staff there, same wide receiver core there. Uh and then Seth Hennigan in that system again for another year. I think big things are coming out of Memphis this year. Um, least favorite was Jake Bringenstool, uh, just because it was a tight end. I know we had to take a tight end in this, you know, nine round draft. Uh, just taking a tight end that early, I, I don't. There's no big tight ends, you know, that are 
you know, your Brock Bowers types yeah. this year. So it's like, I, I just rather get another wide receiver. One thing uh, that kind of surprised me a little bit um, in terms of our picks was that we got Rashad Owens with our last pick. Cause we had been talking about Rashad Owens for s- several rounds and we just kept, kept punting and punting and punting. And, uh, and he was still there at our last pick. So that, that did surprise me, but it was a pleasant surprise. Yep. And, uh, Brennan Presley went a lot earlier, which kind of surprised me. So what is something that you do different next time? Um, for me, um, there probably isn't, I didn't really, I mean, there wasn't anything I felt like I would do differently um, given the limitations of the draft. Um, we're only drafting nine rounds. We had specific positions that we had to, had to fill. Um, nor, you know, like, like you said, we probably would have waited on tight end if we had more time. Um, we might have waited a little bit longer on quarterback, um, you know, added another running back. But, you know, given the limitations in terms of rounds and the, and the uh, roster makeup that we had to select, there wasn't really anything I would do differently. Uh, the only thing I would have done differently is maybe not take Mario Anderson so early. I mean, yes, give me all of the Memphis, but I feel like that is an under-the-radar name that not a lot of people are looking at that I feel like we could have waited longer on. But – Justice wanted to make a statement for the G5 Hive. We do expect great things out of Mario Anderson. Um, but yeah, this was, you know, this was a guy that, that we want, you know, the, the CFF world to be talking about. I think he's he's going to be a great uh, fit there from South Carolina. And, you know, and, and one of the questions that uh, we'll just go ahead and get to it now, name someone that we wanted people to talk about. Well, that's that was Mark for us. That was Mar- one of them was Mario Anderson at Memphis. He said, kind of comes over from the SEC. He showed what he could do at South Carolina. And I feel like the sky's the limit for him at, at Memphis and in the American Conference. And then mine was Seth Hennigan. Uh, he was a QB1 this last year. Uh, you've got a lot of people in the transfer portal, a lot of offenses, offensive coordinators changing. You got Memphis, stays, you got your wide receivers stay the same. You've got same coordinator, same head coach. There's a lot of things that are staying the same. So I, I expect a lot of the same, if not better things, from Seth Hennigan. And in a, a year that you might not know what you're getting out of all the quarterbacks, I think he is somebody that you can count on week in and week out. Um, So which players were you surprised went undrafted through nine rounds? Um, I'll just name a couple. Uh, quarterback uh, Cam Ward at Miami, Jalen Rayner, Arkansas State, um, uh, wide receiver Kenny Wogmack, Western Michigan, Krishan McCray, Kent State. Mildly surprised none of the Texas trio got drafted, but I think the general consensus is that uh, they're just going to cannibalize each other with Bond, Golden, and Cook. Um, if I had to pick a tight end, I guess it would be Luke Lachey. I, I assume just because of the injury, uh, maybe folks forgot about him. and We don't know who those he is yet. I don't – you named a lot of the same names that I would have, so no need to do, uh, me to put in my input there. What is the best strategy, you know, you think for this year, for a draft um, strategy? For me, it's wait on a quarterback. I just feel like there's so many capable quarterbacks. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a strategy I use every year. I feel like people always draft quarterback early. Um, and I'm always a, a wait on a quarterback kind of person. So for me, I think that that still applies this year as well. 
I would say, yep, same. Wait on quarterback, wait on tight end. If you can grab one of those uh, hybrid tight ends earlier, I guess that's what I would use my tight end pick on. But, yeah, wait on tight ends and definitely uh, use that waiver wire. That's going to wrap it up for us. All right. Thanks, Jared, for uh, putting this together. We appreciate it. And thank you for uh, inviting the G5 Hive. Thank you for your analysis, Justice and Luke. Coming up now is J.D. Yonke, CFF analyst over at Devi Watch, who, if you're not too careful, will win your DFS competition before you've even noticed a thing. Take it away, J.D. What is up, CFF nerds, geeks, and incels? J.D. Yonke here with Devi Watch. Um, you might know me on Twitter at YonkerCFB. I'm here to regale you with my thoughts on the way too early mock draft from which I selected with the eighth position. Um, question number one, what is your general opinion of this year's pool of players? Anything unique compared to previous years? Uh, my general opinion is I didn't know who any of these players were or what team they were on. Uh, hard to keep track with the transfer portal. You might have heard. It's changing the landscape of college football, and that's absolutely true. That means, of course, it's changing the landscape of CFF as well. So that's different than most drafts, and I didn't really know who was available for selection or what team they were playing for, if they still had any eligibility, if someone had transferred in, who's starting over them. Got no idea for most of these guys, to be perfectly honest, at this point in the year. Um, all right, what's really different? And on more honest answer, um, you know... I think one takeaway is that there are a decent amount of elite wide receivers. There were about five to six that I'd be comfortable with in the first round. A lot of these guys are probably going to slip to the early second round, and they did in this draft, and uh, I think are worthy of first-round first talents. So a decent amount of elite wide receivers is what I would say is my general opinion. Uh, decent crop of young fellas to choose from overall. Quarterback. Seemed a little weak up at the top, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, were some takeaways. All right, question number two. Who was your favorite pick on your team? Which did you like the least? My favorite pick was all of them. I liked them all. That's why I chose them. I thought they were good players. That's why I selected them. Um, let me go over my team real quick. Um, I started off with running back Omarion Hampton, running back on North Carolina. I then... Filled out my running back room with Malik Sherrod out of Fresno State in the fifth round. Jaheim White running back out of West Virginia in the sixth round. Wide receiver, I went Sean Atkins out of USF in the second round. Gives you a really, really good floor in my opinion Opinion with those PPR targets. Some had the big bowl game, obviously. Had a, a really big year in general. Up-tempo system. That's another one. Like if a guy transfers in, maybe Atkins isn't the wide receiver one. And that pick's useless and... Eight months, but as of right now, it looks very solid. Uh, Alik Ayomanyor out of Stanford as my fourth round pick for wide receiver. You're with that system. You're going to get good tempo. You're going to get a lot of targets to your top guy, and he's the top the top guy. He's a monster, especially with no Eurosec in the picture. Uh, and then I went with Cole Wilson late. Had a great true freshman season for a great CFF offense in Texas State. So guess I targeted the. Good CFF offenses at wide receiver mostly. Uh, quarterback, I went with Haynes King in the third round. I like that. Elite dual threat. Went with Will Howard 
later on. Uh, quarterback out of Iowa State. I got him late. You get a Ohio State quarterback late. Will Howard can run. They're going to run the ball a lot. They still got Igbuka. They still got talent at wide receiver. So I'm pretty happy with that pick. Overall, if I had to say if there was a least favorite pick, I guess I guess I'd still qualify Will Howard as that one just because uh, some really good quarterbacks went right before him that I, I would have liked. You had the, the USC quarterback going. You had the Tennessee quarterback going before that. Avery Johnson. Riley Leonard, good dual threat. Jackson Arnold went two picks before. Uh, were some some quarterbacks I had circled that went right before that. So I guess least favorite just because I didn't really get the guys I had circled. Um, and then the last player on my team I forgot to mention, Caden Prescorn, tight end out of Ole Miss. All right, question number three. What's something you do differently next time? Uh, do differently? I might go double wide receiver to start. I think I'm happy with how it turned out and that I still got an elite running back and elite wide receiver, in my opinion, Hampton and Atkins. So I might go back to the well, but I just really like the wide receivers at, at the end. And it'd be nice to have two of them. I think especially if I'm going later, like ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, I would have done that. Again, I was the eighth pick. Um, just some good guys. Jalen Royals, Tory Horton, Ricky White, Luther Burden, Emeka Ibuka, even Kevin Concepcion went two picks after me to Froton the second round. I would have been happy with them. So I think at the end of the draft, going double wide receiver. All right. Optional discussion questions. Let me choose a few of these. Which players do you expect to rise or fall in drafts as the year goes on? I'm going to go ahead and take a wild guess that Jaden Delora will not go 79th overall. Seeing as not sure what's going to happen with him. I might have taken them 80th, too, if he didn't go 79th one pick later. Other than that, I thought this this team did a pretty good job of assessing value. I thought these picks uh, these picks looks pretty good. You'll have some movement, but none stuck out as, as huge movers to me, to be honest. Um, all right, another question. Which draft strategy do you think is best for this year? Again, too early to tell. Too early to tell. But for me, if I did it again, I like... I like grabbing two elite wide receivers because I think you can easily do that if I'm at the end of the draft or if one slips to me late in the second round. I always like running backs. I think there's always a lot of really good running backs. There are again this year, so you can kind of grab them whenever you want to. Um, as long as you have your guys circled that you like, you can grab them wherever. So for me, I think I'm probably going to prioritize wide receiver because they thin out a little sooner. Uh, all right, and then last question. Did you draft anyone just to get people talking about them? No, I would usually do the opposite and not draft someone. So people don't talk about them, but I suppose if I did that at all or something similar, it would be taking Kid and pre-scoring with my tight end because I drafted him everywhere last year. I was super happy with that, with where I had him well above others. And then he got hurt, didn't play a whole lot. Then he came back for the bowl game and scored like 100 million fantasy points and had a decent little end to the year, but was hobbled. So probably going to have another big year. So I guess I took him just out of stubbornness, not necessarily to get people talking, but to get people to say, that's one of JD's guys because he is. That's my boy. All right. Other than that, thanks for having me on, Jared. Everyone enjoy your day and enjoy listening. Thanks, JD. Up next is the host of the Chasing the Natty CFF podcast, as well as the special, Jared Palmgren, me. For once in this special, let's hear what he has to say about CFF for a change. 
All right, welcome in everybody. I hope you didn't miss my voice too much considering it's been about a whole three seconds since you last heard it. For those of you who somehow forgot between when I last spoke and now, my name is Jared Palmgren. I am the host of the Chasing the Natty uh, College Fantasy Football Podcast, available on YouTube and all of your podcast platforms. I am also the senior writer for College Fantasy Football at CampusDeCanton.com, and I lead their CFF content creation team. You can find me on Twitter. I am at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. Today, I find myself back in the way-too-early CFF mock draft with a host of wonderful guests for this show. And I find myself picking from the 109 spot, which if I remember correctly, might be the latest I've ever picked in one of these drafts in the three years that we have done this. So it was very interesting. So let's get started with this analysis, shall we? Let's start with a kind of a general overview of this year's player pool. Uh, Thinking about things that are kind of unique compared to previous years. Um, I've listened to what the other guys have had to say, and a lot of them have talked about the running back room. So I'm going to kind of skim over that part for the most part. Again, you guys know by now that this running back class is just absolutely stacked. I've talked about it on Twitter already. I had a ton of fun ranking the running backs first and foremost when I did this. It's just so crazy. Like I, After grabbing RJ Harvey in the first round, I specifically waited to grab more guys. And the fact that I was still able to get Quentin Cooley in the fourth and then Gavin Sawchuk in the fifth round was just absolutely nuts to me, uh, the value that was there. So again, running back, obviously super deep. Wide receiver, I initially thought that like this is going to be a super shallow elite tier guys and then it was going to be a free-for-all afterwards. And drafting-wise, that's kind of the way. But like as I've kind of made my wide receiver... Um, rankings deeper and deeper. I've come to come to realize that this class is deeper than I thought, really. Like, you obviously have your top-tier guys, like Ted McMillan, Luther Bird, and Tory Horton, Ricky White, Jalen Royals, Kevin Concepcion, guys like that. But when I'm ranking these wide receivers now, and I'm kind of looking at their potential for this upcoming year, I have the magic number for CFF wide receivers set at 100. If you can give me a path to a, like a solid path to 100 targets in the regular season, to me, that's a good wide receiver pick in CFF. And so far, I can make the case for about 35 wide receivers to hit this threshold for me. And so, and there's plenty more guys that are pretty close to that threshold as well. So, like, as I was going through the draft, like, I felt very comfortable drafting wide receivers a little bit later if I needed to. But at the same time, like, you know, as with running backs and wide receivers, there's going to be a cutoff eventually. And so, like, but again, that was just kind of a surprising thing for me is that like I felt more comfortable drafting wide receiver than I thought. I thought I was going to have to hit it early and often. And that was my initial plan until RJ Harvey fell to me at 109. And then I was like, okay, we'll see what I can get at wide receiver. I felt very comfortable with my trio there of Royals, Pauling, and Tate. And I'll talk about those guys a little bit more later. Uh, quarterback, still trying to figure out, coming off the high of elite QBs last year. This year feels very muted. Um, because like last year we would have five quarterbacks come off in the first round. This year we had five quarterbacks come off in the first five rounds. Uh, so completely different pool of quarterbacks this year. And I think a lot of that has to do with elite quarterbacks getting decimated by the transfer portal this year. You lose Jordan McLeod to whatever school will take him at this point. I don't even know. Uh, Cameron Ward, uh, QB 10 going to Miami, Will Howard going to Ohio state. Good landing spot. Don't get me wrong, but it's just more uncertainty you're not drafting will howard at qb12 like you were last year because you don't know if he's gonna be able to do that at ohio state there and then other guys like chandler rogers going to cal diego pavia going to vandy it's a whole mess right there so again that's kind of a basic overview of the player pool this year again 
just kind of quarterback. I'm still trying to figure out wide receiver deeper than I thought. Running back absolutely stacked. Tight ends. I guess I I, I can make a point about tight ends real quick. Again, obviously no guys like back, Brock Bowers, no Michael Meyer or anything like that this year. I'm interested to see where like the how these tight ends break down because clearly talking to the other guys in the draft, a lot of them were willing to go later when it came to their tight end picks. And so obviously I with the rules of this draft, you had to draft a tight end before the ninth round. So I'm curious to see like if they continue to go later as we go deeper and deeper into these drafts. Uh, another point, or ne- next question, my favorite pick on my team uh, and least favorite pick. So I'll go with my favorite pick here first. Uh, Carno Tate. Got him in the sixth round. Um, I was debating between him and Gavin Sawchuk. Gavin Sawchuk, I, I also love that pick. I got him in the fifth round. He's the guy who finished with a top 10 uh, running back pace last year. I got him at RB27 in the fifth round, so felt very good about that. But reason why I picked Cardinal Tate, who I got at the uh, 604 spot, is because just knowing that system, knowing the value that the outside Ohio State wide receiver has given us over the last couple of years, guys like Marvin Harrison Jr., Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, that's pretty insane value. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. was a top three pick last year, was a third rounder the year before, before he even started um, consistently games, I might add. Like he only had one start before that point. That was the Rose Bowl. Did very well in that game, but already by the next year, he's a third round guy. Carnell Tate, I think, is somebody who's absolutely in the next line of guys. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be, he will be as good as those dudes, although I certainly think he's on the right track so far. But as my third wide receiver on my team, I absolutely take the chance there, especially when I have two dudes in front of him in Royals and uh, Will Pauling, who are basically locked in for 100 plus targets on the regular season. So I'm feeling very, very good with with that wide receiver room. And the other insane thing to me is the difference between Tate's value and Emeka Egbuka's value. Like, I understand. Emeka should be ranked ahead of Tate. I would agree with that. But Egbuka was taken at the end of the first round, and Tate is going five rounds later. I have Egbuka ranked higher than Tate, as I mentioned, but it's small. Like, I have Egbuka as my wide receiver 22, so I do think he was taken a little bit too high in this draft. And by a little bit, I mean a lot too high, if I'm being real. Um, But Tate is my wide receiver 26. That's a much smaller gap than the wide receiver 4 that Egbuka was taken at and the wide receiver 27 that Tate was drafted at. So... Yeah, I was I was ecstatic to get that difference in value right there because I really don't see those two dudes that far apart. And like, I guess I'll talk more about Egbuka as the season goes on, but I really don't think that Egbuka, given the fact that he's capped pretty much under 100 targets, no way I would take him as the fourth wide receiver off the board. Um, but again, we'll talk about that later in the season. We'll go with my least favorite pick now. Uh, that's got to be Jalen Daniels. Again, I like Daniels. Um, and I'll get into it a little bit more in the next question, but near the end of the draft, I kind of slightly panicked at quarterback. Um, a lot of my preferred options were gone. I figured out why not go for a guy I like going into the year. And I felt like that a lot of people weren't really talking about enough, which again, kind of answers one of those uh, optional questions I gave to people. I did draft Jalen Daniels, just kind of get the people talking about him because it feels like he's flying under the radar there. Um, but then I kind of realized that while Daniels is a fun pick, making my quarterback one on a team, a guy who basically hasn't played football for almost a year and also consistently gets hurt, probably wasn't the smartest move. Definitely would not be something I would do again. And then, like again, obviously there's great history. The um, Not last year, but the year before, he was on his way to being a top four uh, QB for CFF. But then again, he gets hurt, comes back, not as strong. I was hoping he would do well last year, gets hurt again. So... It's just something I would not do again. Probably if I wanted to take a shot on D- Jalen Daniels, 
I would wait for a team that I, I would have maybe gone for an elite quarterback like a Kadon Salter, Dylan Gabriel, and then take the upside with Jalen Daniels as my second quarterback. So that's my least favorite pick and my favorite pick there. What's something I would do differently next time? Um, as I kind of touched on before, I wasn't really prepared for quarterback in this draft. And so like I had my top options, obviously, but I had a, this big mosh pit of quarterbacks afterwards that kind of fall in that range of like guys that can get me 20 to 30 points. No, these guys aren't people I'm looking at for 30 plus fantasy points. And I just hadn't really sorted it out at that point. And I was hoping the draft would help me settle that group. And it did somewhat, but um, going forward, I'm looking I'm looking forward to settling my QB strategy more. Um, I made it a point in this draft to draft QB later just to kind of see what kind of value I could get. And after my sixth round pick, I was starting to consider QBs, and there were some good options left. Uh, Jackson Dart and KJ Jefferson were the most prominent among them, and they were both taken before it got to my seventh round pick. I would have taken either of those guys in seventh round. If those two values hold in the sixth round, I probably will have a lot of Jefferson and Dart. Um, but with those two gone, I ended up pivoting to tight end to get Dalvin Smith in the seventh round, who is my tight end one so long as he has that tight end eligibility, which, by the way, he should not because he played zero tight end snaps last year. But until he does, he's tight end one to me. Um, but anyway, grabbed, grabbed out in seventh, the seventh round. So that made it to where I didn't draft my first quarterback until the eighth round. More of my favorite, more of my preferred options came off the board. And so I ended up panicking, grabbing Jalen Daniels. And I kind of already kind of gave you my thoughts on that. So that's pretty much it. Again, um, glad that I was able to run this again. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. And I cannot wait to continue talking to you guys through the full offseason. And we got coaching staff stuff coming up soon. Spring games we're already getting ready for. So until then, I appreciate you guys. And I will see you guys next time. See ya. Up next is the dynamic duo from CFF List, William Barnett and Jeremy Miller. If you can turn a stat in CFF into a graph, they've probably already done so. Gentlemen, take it away. All right, hey everybody, it's you guys from CFF List. I'm Jay Mill, got my partner Willie B. As usual, gonna do a really quick run through on the way too early draft. Thank you, Jared, for having us again. Um, to begin with, we'll talk about our strategy and the best strategy we think you should apply this year, which is a balanced approach. We don't see any position group being that much stronger than the others. We think the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers are all fairly balanced with a decent amount of depth. Uh, with a few exceptions. So with that in mind, um, you know, we don't think there's a need to double up or triple up on really any positions this year like you may have in the past. With that in mind, um, we did, we were drafting at the end, 10th pick. So we did think it was important if he, if one was available to grab one of our three elite quarterbacks. Gabriel was there. He's going to Oregon. We both have him as the preseason early number one. Uh, we don't have any reason to think he will not hit that 30 mark. We're really happy jumping to our ninth pick with Aguiar, uh, who was last year's QB 15 also, and a 25-point-per-game producer. But we think there's that drop-off of the 30-point guys and the mid-20 guys, who there's plenty of, but those 30-plus guys are going to be more limited this year. So if you can get a Salter, Byron Brown, or a Gabriel, uh, like you saw going this year's first round, grab them. Otherwise... Uh, we may have taken a, a running back there instead of Gabriel if he wasn't there. Uh, at receiver, we think Torrey Horton is going to be just as good, if not better, than last year. He finished wide receiver seven. Uh, we've got him as the, maybe the second best uh, 
second or third best receiver in this year's draft. So to get him on the on the corner there was good. Uh, our last receiver, skipping down to maybe our flex pick, Wester, give him two seconds on why you thought it was important to grab Wester uh, at the end of the draft there, uh, even though he's going to uh, Colorado this year. Well, I mean, just his production, I mean, it, you know, him being the number one uh, wide receiver that was left, you know, uh, from last year, I mean, you got 100 receptions, 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns. They're going to have to throw someone the ball. I just right. don't see him having that big of a drop off just because he's at Colorado and they had a, a few guys come in. Right. I mean, and the we, kids are the kids a baller. I mean, right, you just right. got to take a, take that chance, you know, especially we were also we gone. We, we know they got a few guys coming back, but again, we weren't going to take Wester as one of our first two receivers, but when we saw him there as our option for the flex position and, and a uh, fourth receiver, uh, we jumped on him. So, you know, if he's available late, we think he's worth taking a chance late, meaning, you know, eighth, ninth round uh, where we got him uh, at running back. I was super excited to take Edwards uh, as our first running back. Uh, I've got him at RB nine. This was before the coaching change. Willie B your two cents on um, maybe a little bit of post draft regret because of the coaching change at Michigan. Yeah, that, that was my only, we you know, talked a little bit about Ontario Brown, but I just kind of leaned a little bit more to Edwards when, you know, we saw that Harbaugh was going to the NFL. Right, right. Yeah, we were really excited, or I was at least, uh, maybe really not as much, but after the bowl game performance, Edwards seemed like a shoe-in as, as our first running back and really a bargain. Like we said, the system may change. We don't know if the coaches will believe in him as much as uh, Harbaugh clearly did. Um, the next running back we got was two rounds later was Ontario Brown. Not super exciting, um, but he did finish RB42 last year. He's in the top 20 of returning running backs. Uh, we don't really see any competition for him at NIU, so we think uh, getting Antonio Brown is, is going to be a good pickup. Um, and then, Willie, you want to talk about our final two receivers with Surratt and Lacey. Um, really, all three receivers, or three of the receivers we got were transfers here, uh, but, uh, you know, any thoughts on Surratt going to Indiana? I was just really uh, high on him, all of his coaches are at Indiana. So basically it's just uh, uh, James Madison going to Indiana. So I, I really like what he did, you know, the, the, the 70 uh, catches, the thousand yards and, and uh, almost double digit uh, touchdown. So I was really high on that pick. So I'm glad we got him. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and then, and then with Lacey, I mean, that, that kid, he can just play. I mean, so, uh, I don't think I had to sway you, uh, that much. And I like what uh, all the people who go in the Louisville. Um, so it, that should be a fun offense. Yeah, yeah. And, we and, think Brom gets them back to the pass attack that he really prefers over the running attack that you saw this year. So, um, you know, Lacey, again, it's a move from the G5 to the P5. Um, you know, we, we've got three of those guys on our team. We're expecting at least, uh, you know, two out of those three to hit this year. Uh, we, don't, we don't think it's an unreasonable expectation for those receivers to continue to do what they did at the G5 level. Um, lastly, we've got our guy Willis, who uh, I was hating on a little bit early last year. I thought maybe it was a fluke that he kept appearing in our top 12 through the first four or five weeks. Uh, but he ended up finishing tight end four for the season. He's a little undersized, but that, that actually works out in, in – fantasy football because he gets played uh, in, in the slot quite a bit as a receiver. Um, I don't think we can go wrong with, with Willis or anybody can go wrong with Willis uh, with the returning quarterback. 
kind of all the pieces in place that he had last year to, to have that same production. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted him, either him or, or Fannin. Uh, and so I was happy that we were able to get Willis. So, I mean, so yeah. outside we, of those two tight ends, that, that's all I wanted. Well, we did mention R.J. Maryland, but, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's probably the third one that I would throw in that category. Uh, moving along so we can wrap this thing up. Um, our general opinion of the pool of players, um, and well, really we talked about that as far as it being a balance, more balanced group than ever. Uh, but the unique part of this year's season and this year's draft, in both of our opinions, is the unpredictability based on the quantity of player movement. The portal has changed the game. It's changed college fantasy. You can no longer rely on last year's stats as a solid predictor of what this year's stats are going to be, even for your 1,200-yard rushers, your 1,500-yard rushers. Uh, Judkins is case in point with that. You got Judkins, who was one of the top CFF running backs last year, going to a place like Ohio State. All of a sudden, Henderson changes his mind. He's coming back. You can't look at Judkins' stats last year and predict anything, you know, as far as what you can expect this year. Uh, and that's across the board. You've got to really look closely at where they're going and who their competition is much more than the previous stats. Uh, any other final thoughts on that note, Willie? No, just to touch more on that, and because you have to watch the coaching changes as well. Uh, you know, what systems right. are they going to be in? You know, are they going to, you know, be in that same system when you talk about a quarterback or a wide receiver? So, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. It's 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 going to be a little bit different this year when we when we do our rankings. All right. Just making sure we have all the questions covered. Favorite pick. We both agreed it was Gabriel. He was our number one consensus going in. He was the third quarterback off the board. That's a bargain. That's why we took him in round one instead of a running back. Uh, surprise players not taken to show you about the depth kind of when you get below those elite quarterbacks, those guys that can hit the mid-20s for you. Cam Ward wasn't taken. He's going to Miami. Brady Cook was as solid as can be last year at Missouri. He's got every all the pieces around him still. Donovan Smith at Houston should still be good, even with the coaching change. And then you got a running back to me like Marcus Carroll that wasn't taken because of the questions maybe about him moving from G5 to Missouri in the SEC. I don't think there's a reason to worry about him. I didn't put enough faith in him, though, to take him either, but I do think he's a top 25 running back going into this year and one of the top transfer players at the running back position that can still produce for you. Well, I think Nate Noel kind of I kind of knocked him down a little bit, you know, for you when we were talking about Carroll because, you know, like True. I say, we, well, are we going to be sharing? How much are we sharing? Exactly. Those are the unknowns. Uh, lastly, the surprise player taken as high as they were, we're both a little surprised at Darius Taylor. We understand the Minnesota tradition of force feeding the running back to the point where they actually end up getting hurt, which is why we uh, maybe don't have as much faith in a Minnesota running back as others. Uh, but more than that, why Willie was really big on the on the previous injury during the draft, and if he could do what he did last year, um, the fact that Minnesota's bringing in three transfer running backs this year kind of is, is another red flag uh, and kind of a little bit of a reason to be surprised that Darius Taylor was taken so high. You've got a guys like Bangura, Marcus Major coming in, along with a, a third guy from Indiana. You know, why are you bringing in three running backs uh, if you are going to be so high on Taylor? Uh, any final thoughts, Willie, as we wrap it up? No, I just want to uh, give another shout-out to Jared. Thank you for inviting us, and uh, we're, we're excited about this coming season and uh, getting started here in, in the next probably in three weeks. Exactly. So, We've got those transfer rankings coming out as we speak. So uh, we'll see everybody during the season. 
Thank you very much, gentlemen. Up next is Chris K, host of the Burning the Red Shirt podcast and CFB DFS guru extraordinaire. The mic is yours, K. Take it away. What's going on, everybody? Chris K from Burning the Red Shirt. Thanks a lot, Jared, for having me on this way too early mock. I had pick 11. And before I go too far, if you need more analysis from me on X, I am realist. Chris K, easy to find uh, with a lot of bad takes. But uh, look at this year's player pool. I really like the top portion of it. I think like the top 35 picks or so are incredible. Uh, Obviously, some elite options at the very top. And uh, a a lot of different guys that I think are very valuable, Uh, whatever formats you're in, uh, even to the extent of like dynasty, there's a ton of young guys that are at at or near the top of of this draft. So starting with quarterback, you know, I think this is like the age old story of like, if there's two or three elite options, and then you probably just wait till the middle pack of like the fifth, sixth, seventh round to figure out which guys you want. I just think there's a lot of dual threat guys that have high floors, high ceilings. Um, and besides like the top three, right? Gabriel Brown and uh, Salter that have like insane upside with insane floors. I think you could probably just wait a little bit there. And it kind of feels the same with, with tight end, but maybe not necessarily the upside, but I think the top 10 or so feel pretty tight. You know, like I think you could make a case for pretty much all of them as like a top three or four tight end. I think Harold Fannin's probably the number one guy, but you know it's not like previous years where Brock Bowers just ruled the world. So I think both those positions are super deep. I think there's maybe one or two elite options at tight end, two or three at the top for quarterback, and then you just kind of wait to see who falls to you and see how the kind of the draft lands. Receivers feel pretty good. I, not to get deep into it, but just think relatively speaking. Tons of options there. I went two at the top with Ricky White and Luther Burden uh, in reverse order there. Uh, but I think running back is one of maybe the more interesting groups. I think of like the, where things go a little bit sideways are you have like two superstars at the top. Then you have Darius Taylor at Minnesota. I'm curious to see what they do. They brought in some guys. You know, this might be a hindsight thing where at the end of next season, we say like, of course, he was a top three fantasy running back. Uh, I mean, the usage is just insane. He's a very talented guy as well to go on top of it. So maybe overthinking it there. I certainly would want GT or Ali Gordon instead. But, you know, including uh, Terry, uh, Taylor there, I think there's three or four more guys that have big upside that are really, really good options. You know, like Taj Brooks, Amarian Hampton. I think even like RJ Harvey is kind of on the tier that at bottom end of that tier, Cedric Baxter, kind of the same way. I think there's a lot of really good options. Then man, it falls off to me. Like after the top 30, 35 picks, I get a little concerned about which guys I'm going with They're, They don't feel like home runs. Um, obviously it's a fourth, fifth round pick. It shouldn't feel that way necessarily, but do you think in hindsight, you know, maybe I would have, and this is maybe a different question for another day, but maybe I would have, gone with one of a with a running back at pick 11 or pick 14 early second round there to help combat the fact that uh receivers feel deep enough and there's just such a great amount of uh top six to seven talent there for running backs uh so you know favorite pick on my team luther bird in the first round uh i think he's a no-brainer the usage is there they return the quarterback the offense really is unshaken you know you lose Cody Strader and that's a positive because he was pretty good in the passing game very good on the ground 
Maybe they lean a little bit more on Burden even more, which is always great. He was banged up last year and still had an incredible season. I think Jaden Higgins is a really interesting option. Uh, pick 86, Jalen Knowles back. But uh, if you ask, whoever you ask, right, I think people might say Higgins is the better option. Maybe they have the same floors, but Higgins has the better upside. I think I think everybody would agree with the upside piece there. The floor could be uh, debated, but I think Higgins with the returning quarterback, pretty much returning staff, it seems like, uh, you know, pick 86, that seventh, eighth round range, that feels like a really good option there. And then I think Jalen Milrow, I've talked about it on Burning Redshirt. Like, I got him at the QB 24. I counted up at least seven quarterbacks I would take uh, Milrow ahead of in this draft. You know, if DeBoer is such a great offensive talent, then like a coach, then how how does Milrow not be successful? You know, you could say, well, he doesn't fit the system. Well, like if he's a good coach, he should be able to adapt to it. Schedule may, you know, maybe it's a tougher schedule type of situation, but even then, you know, Miller had a great year last year and pretty much sat back for portions of second half. So I think we'll see a full game, full season of Jalen Milrow. And I think with his legs and his deep ball, something that Washington was really good with that deep ball. I think Milrow is kind of a no brainer in the early twenties. And I got him at quarterback 24. What picks did I not like? Okay. Well, Jalen Buckley kind of felt like, well, I took two receivers. I need a running back. I picked him in the, I believe the early third round there. Let's see here. End of the third round, uh, pick 38, maybe. And uh, really just struggled who to take there. You know, Nick from Winning Edge, I asked him, I asked the guys, hey, what did you think of this pick? And Nick had mentioned new play calling. So you wonder, like, do they go super fast like they did last year? Do they pound the rock with Buckley? I like the pick, generally speaking, but I, it was not one of my favorite. Definitely don't love it. Um, you know, and if I could do things differently, I, I would have swapped my second and third round picks, taking a second round uh, running back, third round receiver. And then from the receiver standpoint, Zachariah Branch, I kind of took him to see like what people might say. Uh, I certainly liked the talent. He was really impressive throughout the season as a true freshman at USC. But it, when it comes down to it, you know, what happened in the bowl game? Why was he not really featured? All these different guys in play, and he didn't really do anything. It was other freshmen that produced well. And, you know, where I took him, you know, sixth, seventh round range, you wonder, you know, is that that's probably too steep of a cost. Maybe it's like last year where we just say, hey, let's wait, see which guy is picked second or third and go after those guys instead. That's probably the plan I'll ultimately go with. But I do think, um that those are you know that's probably how i'll approach the situation branch probably a little too early doing something differently like i said i would go running back second round you know like when it comes down to it you know taj brooks is like a no-brainer to me I, you know pound the rock tons of running i know that system theoretically shouldn't love running backs but brooks proved everybody wrong i don't see the quarterback play getting so much better that they're just going to chuck it a ton i think brooks is a workhorse a guy that you need to have on your roster it's super safe at the very least so i think going with him or maybe like a cedric baxter would be more beneficial than landing on damian martinez with kind of a brand new offense brand new staff how does that look uh and then like i said buckley with a little bit of uh uncertainty in the mac with a new play caller wrapping it all up couple players that i think will rise or fall here so will shepherd from colorado I think he'll fall. I believe he's taken in the fifth round. That's just too deep of a receiver room. 
I know they pass it a ton. And for the most part, they were pretty condensed, but there's a lot of guys in that room and, you know, maybe four to five, right. With Wester, with Shepard, with potentially Travis Hunter. Uh, I think there's one more back, right. I think it may be Jimmy Horn. Like there's just a ton of options. I'm not necessarily betting on the guy from Vandy to be that one or receiver two that really makes, you know, Dion say, Hey, he needs to be on the field all the time type of thing. Taj Brooks I already mentioned him 21st pick feels like the absolute latest you'll get him. Like we've seen it. There's no reason for anything to change. They've lost a ton of receivers. So why wouldn't they uh, pound the rock more? I think that pick is going to be the lowest you'll get him. And uh, I mean, if I have anything higher than the 21st pick, I will certainly be taking them if available. Then Sean Atkins, you know, I, I don't have a problem with Sean Atkins, but pick 17 just feels a little bit high. I'd be surprised if people go higher with him throughout the entire draft cycle, the next seven, eight months. Uh, pair him up with Byron Brown, maybe. Maybe you want to lock that in. You don't, you don't have to stack, but that could, in theory, make sense. But I think pick 17 is the absolute highest you'll see him taken. He probably is is more likely valued in the mid to low twenties. So not that much of a difference, but did think that's worth calling out with all the different options that were going around him. Seems in theory that he would be taken after him like a Joey Hobart or Tez Johnson, Kevin's Concepcion, uh, just French that name up, uh, you know, Pauling Ashlock. I think there's some comparable names that in theory you might want more, but Hope you guys enjoyed my portion of the way too early mock. Appreciate you, Jared, for having this, running this, and keeping us moving to get it done. And uh, happy drafting in 2024, guys. Last but certainly not least is a man I've been dying to have joined this special since year one. We're excited to bring in Mike Bainbridge from the CFF site. When you've been providing content for the CFF world for 10 plus years, I think Mike might know a thing or two about the game. Finish us strong with some of that wisdom, Mike. Hey, everybody. Mike Bainbridge here from the CFF sites. Uh, going over my 2024 too early mock draft for college fantasy football. Uh, appreciate Jared for having me on uh, for this annual event. Uh, it's only 32 degrees and, and wintry weather outside. So appreciate the invite and uh, giving me some entertainment in these in these cold months. So uh, let's go over my draft. I had the 12th pick out of 12 teams. Um, first question posed to the group. What is your general opinion of this year's pool of players and anything unique to previous years? Um, we've taken a break, just a heads up. We've taken a break after the college football ended. So I haven't done any, uh, deep dives into this year's group quite yet. Uh, we'll save that, uh, for a few weeks from now, but, uh, general consensus, I think people have mentioned this already on Twitter and now participating in my, my first draft of the season. It, it's, it's easily apparent that that running back group is just insanely deep this year and and I'll kind of go into my strategy with this draft and maybe what I would have changed uh previously um in doing this draft but uh running backs is just incredibly deep uh this year I would also say it's the exact same for tight end group um which will again apply to to my strategy in in future drafts but uh, after going over this draft, I think this is, might be, you know, ever since I've been doing this for 13 years, and I think this might be the deepest tight end group we've ever had 
uh, in college fantasy football. So, you know, I'll kind of go in later with some of the strategy with that too, for me personally. Uh, quarterback, I think is also going to be very interesting this year. We don't have a Caleb Williams uh, or like, I don't feel like we have that top, top tier quarterback. So um, I think if you look across the the landscape of experts, you're going to see, you know, the, the top 10, top 20, it's going to vary between between experts and such. So I don't think there's going to be a consensus this, this year with quarterbacks, which is going to make just drafting in, in college fantasy this year very interesting. Wide receivers, I don't know. It's January. People are going to say, oh, this is a shallow group of, of wide receivers potentially. They say that every year. We'll get a couple transfers uh, in this, this next transfer window. You'll get some guys pop up in spring and summer practices. And the wide receiver group will feel the same as it does every single year. So um, I don't think it's necessary. It seems like a shallow group right now, but that that list will grow uh, throughout the offseason. Uh, favorite pick for my team was probably KJ Jefferson, uh, the new quarterback for UCF. Um, I just think it's a perfect landing spot, perfect uh, transfer um, acquisition by Gus Malzahn and UCF. He obviously dual threat fits the system to a T in my opinion, bigger than John Rice Plumley, So he's going to get more goal line, you know, red zone uh, carries probably expect hundred carries out of Jefferson. If not 150, it's exactly what you want out of your uh, QB one. And plus he's got plenty of weapons to the UCF loss cage. Um, Javon Baker, but should have Kobe Hudson, plenty of uh, uh, decent talent receivers to that, that passing game will, We'll be fine this year. Uh, least favorite. Um, I, I liked my team. Didn't have a strong least favorite pick. Probably say Squirrel White um, from Tennessee. It's good value in the eighth round compared to where he's been dra being drafted last year in the fourth round. I don't know. I just, anybody that drafted Squirrel White last year did not finish in first or in the even top half of any of my leagues. So, don't feel great about drafting him again this year, but eighth round can't complain too much. He did. He did uh, turn up the production a little bit. Second half of the year. Uh, I think he was targeted in like three of his last seven games or targeted 10 or more times in three of his last seven games. So he's, his production was uh, increasing as the season went along, but uh, I don't know if I had to choose one, that would be my least favorite um, with Tennessee. You're going to have a, a first year starting quarterback, um, and then they have the same amount of depth that they had a year ago. Dante Thornton, Drew McCoy, uh, get Chris Brazell from Tulane. So it's a deep group again, could spread out the targets. Something I would do differently next time, uh, the pick of Phil Maffa in the second round, I think I would do differently not that it's a bad value or anything like that. Um, I think he'll go, you know, second, third round uh, throughout this entire offseason just because he doesn't have to battle uh, Will Shipley anymore for carries. But you just see how many, with doing a mock draft, you see how many running backs are falling fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth rounds that I was still able to grab Makai Hughes and, and TJ Harden in the third and fourth round and feel really good about my running back group where I probably next time would have went with a wide receiver there in that second round, maybe a Torrey Horton or, or Jalen Royals to kind of boost that wide receiver group. So 
just, I don't know, I, because of the depth that might put that, uh, push down some value with, with some of these running backs in drafts. Which players were you surprised when undrafted uh, through nine rounds? I think the SEC running backs, I don't think we had many, if not all. The only running backs that we had drafted were the two teams, uh, Texas and Oklahoma, that are, are new to the, the conference. Uh, Caleb Jackson, Marcus Carroll, Logan Diggs, all the transfers, Trip Trianum. I don't think any one of them got selected, so I was a little surprised by that. Um, I, I think, though, their value will be boosted as the offseason goes along. And then secondly, um, just the tight ends. It speaks to the depth, but Aranda Gadsden, Luke Lachey, you know, consensus top five tight ends last year did not get selected, which, again, speaks to the the depth at the position, in my opinion. Uh, which players do you expect to rise or fall in drafts as the year goes on? I didn't have a specific player, but I was just thinking after the draft, um, nobody was selected from Washington State, uh, particularly the receivers. Uh, we saw what Lincoln Victor did last year. He's gone. Josh Kelly's gone. There's probably 200 targets, if not more, vacated. Um, ben Arbuckle's still there. I know they don't have Cam Ward, but I would imagine they're running the same system. So maybe somebody like Kyle Williams, uh, still there, the former UNLV transfer. I think somebody will emerge once spring practices uh, conclude that uh, somebody like that could fall into the top nine to 10 rounds of, of CFF drafts. Uh, strategy, which do I think is best for this year? It's a while before we're going to develop, you know, concrete strategies. But again, I kind of touched on it, running back and tight end. I think you guys can wait on those positions just because of the depth, it's specifically a tight end. I know it's been popular in the past with, say, a Brock Bowers, a consensus tight end one to kind of go up to the second and third round and draft them. I never really subscribed to that notion. And I think this this year even more so, I don't think there's going to be a clear cut tight end one unless somebody like Dalvin Smith or potentially Aranda Gadsden um, gets tight end eligibility. That's a conversation for a different day, whether they deserve it or not. But um, I, I, unless they have tight end eligibility this year, I don't think we're going to have a consensus. So I would definitely wait on your tight ends. Uh, final question here. Name somebody you drafted just to get people talking about them. Now, this is going to be an old man yelling at the clouds answer for me. Sounds like I hate fun or whatever, but I have been guilty of doing this in the past, especially early on where you're just, I don't know, trying to get people talking. As the question says, you want to kind of put your name out there, even with with selecting a, a new player, or what have you. And I don't think that's necessary. Um, you know, sometimes going boring in these drafts pays off um, and and just getting proven players that have done it in the past. So, I mean, I tried this last year. I, I think I was first to draft DT Sheffield, Chuki Hines from Hawaii, trying to get those slot receivers in those valuable positions. And it just did not pan out for me. And I had wasted spots on my best ball team. So um, boring is sometimes OK with with these drafts. So. Um, that, that's it for the questions. I appreciate again, Jared, for having me on. This is always a good time, uh, especially with this group of, of drafters. Um, so thank you again. I'm Mike Bainbridge from the CFF site. Most importantly, I know this is going to air after championship weekend, but go Lions. Thank you once again, Mike. That's it. That's our special. 
Once again, I want to thank each and every CFF expert who not only participated in this mock, but also took the time to bring their analysis to this special in order to provide the best experience for our viewers. The Twitter handles of each member of this draft can be found below and at the beginning of their segments, so please make sure to go and follow each and every single one of them. Finally, I want to thank each and every one of you of our listeners that have been watching to this point. You guys are the reason we can keep doing stuff like this, and the growth you guys have helped us create over the last couple of years is the reason why we're able to keep doing this stuff into the future. For now, that wraps up this special. For the experts, for myself, for everybody, I hope you guys have a blessed day, and I hope to see you guys next week on Chasing the Natty.